new in a series, brand new series we're doing. I guess it's not brand new, but it's, you know, second week called uh, Save the Date. Save the Date. We're having real conversations about relationships before and after the wedding day. Now, I want to begin by asking you a question, okay? I need you to be honest. How many of you would say that marriage, how many of you would say that marriage is a huge blessing when it is a blessing. Would you raise your hand all over the room? Marriage is a huge blessing when it's a blessing. All right, let me ask you a second question. How many of you know that marriage is not a blessing when it's not a blessing? How many of you raise your hand? No, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Keep him down. Keep him down, all right? Just keep looking straight at me, all right? Don't smile. Pretend that you don't know what, what I'm talking about. But it's true, right? It's true. Uh, marriage can be a blessing when it's a blessing, and it cannot be. It's not a blessing when it's not a blessing. It can be complicated. It can be, uh, it can be painful. If you're with a very self-centered person, it can be a very difficult thing. So uh, on Wednesday, this last week, um, Leah gets a message from a friend of hers, and it was actually a post um, that's, that this friend sent to her And uh, <clears throat> on that post um, Basically her friend was sending her a post from a stranger Actually, uh, it actually came with this picture And there's actually a couple of pictures And here's what the post said, alright let me, let me read it to you uh, Here's what it says On July 9th, if we can get the picture up guys On July 9th, 1994 a bri My bride and I Married less than 24 hours ago Had this photo taken at Oprah Land I don't know any of you guys ever been to Oprah Land, Nashville, Tennessee We had the attendant, Miss Leah J. Clark, that's my wife Sign the marriage certificate as a witness After 28 and a half years, we're still together And still have the, that picture I often think about Miss Leah and wonder what became of her. If you know her, I would love to say hi. And, you know, like, I was blown away. Like, she, you know, she laughed. It's Wednesday morning, you know, and she's, uh, she gets this text, and she laughs, and it's like, you're not going to believe what happened. Leah worked at Oprah Land taking those pictures, okay, back in her high school years. And, um... She's like, you're not going to believe what happened. And my friend just texted me this, this post from a you know, total stranger. And um, the, the reason why I, you know, like, I mean, who does that, right? 28 and a half years later, you know, saying, hey, we're still married. Whoever you are, just wanted to say hello. And, of course, I think she reached out to them. Uh, but here's the reason why I wanted to start with that, okay? Because that's very, you don't see that in our, our culture anymore, Right? Like, you don't hear people going the, the distance, 28 and a half years, happily married, right? Like, that's just, that's very strange. That's, that's unheard of. And what I want to talk about today, what I want us, our, our conversation for today, I guess the title of the message is this, why most marriages don't work and how you can beat the odds, okay? That's the, the title of, that's the theme for today, how most marriages don't work and how you can beat the odds. Um, last week, if I can recap real quick, we said that, Statistically speaking, most of you, you, you'll get married, okay? That's what studies show us. Most of us will get married. Now, unfortunately, statistically speaking, most of those marriages, many of them, will not make it, okay? 
And, um, and so today, I want us to explore from a biblical perspective why that is, okay? Because Jesus gives us tremendous insight why it is that uh, most marriages don't make it. And I want us to figure out, like, how, what, you know, how do we beat the odds? How do we, um, if you're married or maybe you've been divorced but you're wanting to get married again, I mean, what, what things do I need to do different? What does God's Word tell me about this? So we're going to be in Matthew 19, so if you want to follow along, you can go there. Matthew 19. And uh, Matthew 19, Jesus, they're trying to trip him up. They're asking him this question about divorce. And, you know, they're, it's a, the Pharisees basically just trying to put a stumbling block in front of him. And, of course, he's way smarter than they are. And he's, you know, got a little bit more wisdom than they, they have. And so he says this. I'm going to begin in verse 4. So he says, haven't you, haven't you read? Like, haven't you, haven't you heard? And then, and then Jesus goes on to quote Genesis chapter 1 he says um uh, haven't you heard have you read that at the beginning the creator okay that's a that's a key word for us to to keep in mind made them male and female and and he said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so, verse 6, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, what is Jesus doing in, this, in these verses? He is giving us, I believe, the most foundational reason why most marriages don't work out. And it's this, this is the first point if you're taking notes. I believe that the number one reason why most marriages don't work out is because most people have the wrong view of marriage. In our culture, the way that we look at marriage is very different than the way that God created it, the way that he intended it to be. In our culture, um, and I don't know throughout the world how it is, but I know that in the United States for a fact, most people today, they view marriage as a, as a contract, as a piece of paper. Now, I want to say something that's really, really, really important to me, okay? And, and it's a kind of a side note, but I think this is imperative for all of us, okay, uh, to know. Uh, and so like, just kind of a little side note. Uh, if you study scripture, you know marriage is supposed to be permanent, Okay, that's pretty clear. There are biblical reasons or exceptions, I should say, such as abuse, um, you know, adultery, you know, unfaithfulness. So, so just keep that in mind for today, for whatever's worth. Okay, so like there are times when I have told people, listen, you need to get out of this marriage. Okay, you this there's no what you have to understand is that our God is a God of common sense. All right, so He doesn't want you to be a part of an abusive situation. But other than that, other than unfaithfulness, abuse, when you look at Scripture, you see that God wants marriage to be a thing that's, that's like permanent, okay? Now, regardless of where you're at today, maybe you've been married three times. Maybe you're going through your fourth divorce. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you hate men. Maybe you hate women and you don't trust them because of the past. Regardless of what you're at today, Here's, I have one goal for you, okay, as we kind of have this conversation. I want you to focus on the present, okay? Can you do that for me? So regardless of the things that I say, I, I don't want you, you do not stand condemned, okay? Your past, 
the baggage, the, the junk from, from the last marriage, the junk from, you know, what you did when you were young, the screw-ups, all of that. The Bible says that you are no longer, if you belong to Jesus, you're not condemned. There's now, Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who, are, who belong to Christ. And so you do not stand condemned, but you are free to look forward to the future that God has for you. Uh, Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So I just want to be the first one to acknowledge, just as a little side note, there's no fear, there's no shame you're more than a conqueror, not because of what you've done, because if it was up to you and to me, up to me, like, like we wouldn't be here. But it's because of the grace of, of Christ, because of the, the work of the cross, okay? So are you tracking with me? Like, are you, do you have it locked in? Our goal for today is to focus on the present, not the past. Everybody okay? Everybody good? Give me a thumbs up. Give me some feedback. Okay, so you do not stand condemned. All right. So with that in mind, watch this. Let's put it on the screen. According to the National Center for Family and Marriage Research, 80% of teenagers today expect to cohabit. So in other words, they expect to live together, have sexual relationships without being married. Now, do you know what, what I think of that stat? Like when I, when I look, 80% of teenagers in our world today they're, they're just going to live together. They're just going to hang out. They're going to have sexual relationships without being married. You know what I think of that? It doesn't surprise me. I don't go, no. Like, I honestly, when I look at that, like, like my, my personal opinion is like, I don't blame those, that group of people that, you know, that demographics. It, it sounds like a decent plan. You know Why? Because of what our culture believes about marriage. Like, if, if you believe that marriage is just, it's just a piece of paper, right? If you believe, which is what most people in our world believe, like, it's just a contract. If that's what you believe, then it makes sense. Why, why bother with the contract? Why bother with the, you know, our love for one another is much more, much deeper than that. And so, if marriage is just a piece of paper... Why not split the responsibilities and enjoy the benefits, right? In fact, did you know that over the last 10 years, the divorce rate is actually going down because people are just not getting married anymore, you know? So divorce rate is going down. And so, like, honestly, just being, just common sense, you know, I don't blame that group. You know, like, it makes, to me, it's a decent plan. I mean, you can co-sign on the apartment lease, you know, and save some money. You can move in together. You share your Netflix account, woohoo! You know, you know, praise the Lord. You know, I don't have to pay for two accounts. You can uh, split the chores and share the bed, right? Like you can buy a puppy together, you know. And what we're doing, culturally speaking, we're fully entangled, but we're not fully committed. And the problem with that is that when the enemy begins to attack the relationship, when the enemy comes after that couple. When the enemy makes it hard, and life, marriage is hard, right? If you've experienced marriage, you know, like, I, I cannot, I would not, like, and I don't need to ask this question, but I guarantee you that there's not a single pair person in this church that would say, oh, marriage is like, ah, that's easy, that's a piece of cake. Marriage is hard. 
And so when, when you're in, rela- in a relationship because nobody's perfect, you know, and the enemy begins to attack and things get hard, it decreases the odds of success in the relationship. Because what you're doing is you're, you're playing house. You're practicing married life. You are practicing, like you break up and you're practicing divorce. And so if your view of marriage is a contract, you got to understand this. Contracts, contracts are based on mutual distrust, right? Have you ever signed a lease for a house, for, for a car? I mean, have you ever bought a house? Any of you guys ever bought a house before? Like, you kind of, like, given your life away, you know? The other day I was working on the, the insurance for the property insurance for the church, and literally the packet was, like, this thick, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm signing, but I hope it's good, you know, because you got to get like a master's degree to understand, you know, what we're, what we're doing. And so contracts, contracts limit our responsibilities and they increase our rights. Think about, about it that way. Like when I make you sign a contract, what I'm doing is I am limiting my responsibilities and I'm increasing my rights. That's not what I need in my marriage. I don't need to limit my responsibilities and increase my rights in my marriage. Because, like, we all, like, like if you put two imperfect people together, you, you, you need the, quite the opposite. It's going to be a life of making sacrifices and, and, and not being selfish. As, and, and as human beings, most of us are a little selfish. And so before Lee and I got married on our wedding band we put we engraved um philippians chapter two and the reason why we did that before we got married is because we wanted to be reminded that this was more than just a piece of paper we wanted to be reminded what what it says philippians 2 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit like that's a hard thing to do but it's a gr- I need to be reminded of that on a regular basis. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. And so, you're probably here and you're thinking, okay, if most people view marriage as a contract, then Pastor Alex, how do we beat the odds? How do we, this great question, how do you beat the odds? I'll tell you how. You learn to view marriage a little bit differently, and it's countercultural. You learn to view marriage as a covenant. Now, I know that's an old, archaic word, covenant. What is, what is a covenant? Um, uh, and it's not, not a word that we kind of use in our language, but uh, biblically speaking, a covenant is like mutual commitment before a holy God. Let me explain it. So in the Old Testament, okay, like ancient times, if you were making a business deal, like, in our world today, it's all about contracts, right? You hire the lawyer, you sign the papers, make sure everything's right. In the Old Testament, it was a little bit different. They would, literally, what they would do is they would, before you uh, make, uh, like, whenever you were doing a business deal, you would basically make a, a covenant. And what that would entail was you would take a bull, okay? And I'm sorry to be so graphic, but you would cut it in half, okay? All the blood and all the guts spilling out. Okay, so like I'm glad I didn't live in that day and age. You know, I would rather sign any piece of paper than than have to cut a bull in half. You would split it open, 
And then you would have the parties, you know, if it was two parties, they're making this covenant, you would have them walk between the bull seven times. And as they're walking back and forth, they would say this, they would say, if we break our word, may what happened to this bull happen to us. And so for them, that's what a covenant was. It was like final. Like you don't, you don't screw this up, okay? Like when you give your word, when you make a covenant, this is what happens. Well, marriage is that. It's a covenant. It's not a practical arrangement. Oh, I'm gonna, we're going to save on on the lease you know let's move in together marriage biblically speaking it's like a like a vow it's like a like a solemn oath it's it's serious it's deeply and sincere a deeply and sincere promise that that you're making before God and you're saying okay God I just I just want to make sure that like I'm gonna like this I'm taking this seriously and I'm I'm before you and before my friends and family and before that person that I love I am making a promise today to honor this relationship that's what marriage biblically speaking is all about and so uh, in Hebrews the Bible says this marriage should be honored by what's that last word say it nice and loud church all so if you are single you should honor the marriage the covenant of marriage right if you are you know if you're engaged if you are divorced biblically speaking it says like we should all honor the covenant of marriage why because it was god who created it and so most marriages do not work okay because we have this the wrong view it's a piece of paper you know who cares about a piece of paper like you know and so th there's this belief that it's just a practical arrangement not a covenant here's the second point most marriages do not work out because people don't know how to fight fair this is good people just simply don't know how to fight fair um if you're in a relationship there's going to be conflict now, I often tell people, um, I, I say, look, if, I'm, if we're going to be friends, I just want to set the right expectations. Like at some point, I'm going to disappoint you, you know, because as a pastor, sometimes people put you on a, on a pedestal, right? And, I, and so I often say to people, hey, just want to let you know, I am, I'm going to do something or I'm not going to do something or I'm, you know, and it's, it's going to, like, you're going to be like, how could he? right and so if you're in any kind of really whether it's romantic or not you're at some point things are gonna there's gonna be friction there's gonna be an argument things are gonna not gonna work out and so uh like people when uh, when uh, when usually when the, uh, i have a couple ask me to do uh to do their wedding <clears throat> usually um i do at least three uh, premarital uh, counseling sessions i don't ever marry somebody without talking to them because i really believe that um, you know, we train people to do everything except for marriage, right? Probably one of the most important things that we should do uh, in, 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 in our culture today is train people before they get married. And then, like, it doesn't happen. Like, if you, you've got to get training if you're going to be a doctor. You've got to get training if you're going to be a server. You have to, you're, you're going to fly an airplane. You've got to get some training. You don't get behind cockpit, you know, like, just not, 
not without no training and then you're putting two imperfect people together and you're expecting them to do life forever without problems with no training so like you know people sometimes ask me pastor can you marry us yes but we got to do at least three three counseling sessions and now we're actually in the process of uh, building a, a, a marriage ministry at our church and um, so that that process is going to be uh, even better now um, but one of the first questions that I asked the couple is, uh, tell me about your last fight. And it's kind of like a cold shower, you know, because it's like, okay, like we're going deep really quick. Um, and uh, yeah, tell me about, if it's either in doubt or tell me about your biggest fight, okay? And I'll just get quiet and I let it be a little bit tense in the room, you know? And sometimes, from time to time, uh, a couple will be like, um, we don't usually fight, you know? <laughs> I don't do it outwardly, but inwardly, I laugh a little bit. And it's like, okay, so you don't ever fight. No, no, we don't fight. We're really good. We love each other, you know. It's like, oh, okay. You know, and they don't know this. Now you know. Um, but they don't know that I'm, what I'm doing in my brain is I'm thinking either they have not spent enough time together, okay, and we're going to have to prolong the wedding, which is a, never a good news, you know, because usually they come to me like it's last minute, right? Like they get the sound guy, they get the video guy, they get the, 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 the venue. It's like, oh, yeah, we got to get a preacher. So they get the preacher last, you know, um, and they don't know that I, that I make it a little bit more difficult for them. Um, but usually they haven't even they haven't been together long enough or there's some major insecurities and they just don't want to share because there's shame, because there's insecurities or whatever. And so. The reason why I asked them that question is because you have to know, if, you're gonna, if you plan to spend the rest of your life with that person, you got to know how they fight. You have to know, we all fight differently. Like some people, they fight, you know, they're calm, right? Some people avoid conflict, and so they run away, you know? Sometimes you need to, to separate, and that's not good. But there's other times when, like, escaping the situation may not be the best thing for your marriage, there are other people that are loud and obnoxious. Um, <laughs> there are people that are passive-aggressive. And sometimes you do need the, that person to say, you know what, we're not going to sleep until we figure this out. We need, we need to work this out. And the Bible talks about that. Don't basically um, let the sun go down when you're angry, right? But it's not one way or the other. It's not like 100%. What you need to know, by the way, quick plug real quick if you want to go deeper into this subject we're going to have a master class march 17th 18th and um actually there is there should be a, a, a like outside in the welcome center and here in the kids point there's a qr code you can just click that and sign up uh if you want to if it's easier for you just text the word marriage um to our church number and it'll it will send you the link but we're going to go in, in depth on this, on this topic, okay? And that's why we have this master class. Um, let me say this. Healthy couples fight for resolutions. Would you say that with me? Let's say it together. Help, healthy couples fight for resolution. Ready? One, two, three. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight to win. So healthy couples fight to figure out the solution, okay? Unhealthy couples fight because there's pride, because there's selfishness. 
And so if you're going to learn to fight fair, one of the first things you got to learn is to guard your words faithfully. you got to guard your words. Your words, man, they, they're, they're, they're one of the weapons that the enemy use, uh, uses. Uh, Proverbs 21, 23, it says this, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Man, I wish I could apply that verse uh, more often in my life because my mouth gets me in trouble uh, on a regular basis. And even when I tried, it, it's like, up, oh, I got it. Like, you should see, <laughs> it's, you know, I wasn't expecting to do this, but if you look at our, um, let me just, can I be vulnerable with you guys for a moment? Okay, no judgment, right? You guys are not judging? Uh, no perfect people. Thank you so much. Um, hey, family, this is me, uh, Wednesday, this is Wednesday, okay, 7.05 a.m., uh, hey family, uh, this is a group text with all of my kids, my wife, all of us together. Hey family, I wanted to ask you to forgive me for raising my voice and losing my temper the other day. Would you please forgive me? I love you, and I should not communicate it in anger. And then the next one, I should have put a picture of this on the screen. Um, Katie, I uh, forgive you, and then I gave her a heart. You know, thank you, somebody forgives me. Woof! Okay, um, Leah, I forgive you, and a little emoji with kissing me. You know, it's like, yes, that's what counts right there. Boom. Uh, the other two, I don't really care, but okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Natalie, I forgive you. And then I, and then I never heard from Andrew until later. <laughs> um, but you've got to get, you know, your words, man, they get you in trouble. Uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know what that means? You know what this verse means? What it means is that you're never going to call names. Don't call him names. Don't call her. They, those, those things will stick for a long time after they've forgiven you. Those names, those titles, they'll stick. I, 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 wanna, I don't want to say it like this, but sometimes for a lifetime. I wish it wasn't the case. So don't call names. You don't have to raise your voice. And I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, okay? But there's no need to raise your voice. Um, don't, um, don't get historical, not, not hysterical, which probably you shouldn't do either, you know? But don't get historical. Like, um, don't bring up the past, okay? Oh, but you did this, you know, a year ago or two years ago. You did this. Don't do that. It's not going to help your situation, don't say never or always because there's always a way out of that one, okay? That's just foolish, okay? Uh, so I'm just t telling you, uh, you're not going to win that, that fight if you say you always or you never. No, don't say it. Don't say it. Never threaten with the, the D word. It's a curse word, okay? It's the word divorce. We're thinking of a different one, okay? <laughs> uh, don't ever th threaten with that. Don't say it. Don't say it. Even if the enemy's wanting you to whisper it, just make a commitment in your life. You're never going to say the D word, okay? Don't use it. Don't use it. Um, if, if, you know, if they're not happy, don't say, turn that frown upside down. Okay, that's not going to help, <laughs> you know? If they're angry, don't say, don't be angry. Calm down. Promise you, that's not going to help from personal experience, okay? Um, and never, never, ever, 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 okay? Quote your pastor in the middle of a fight, okay? Please, do me a favor. Do not quote me. You're going to lose the battle, okay? Um, and so uh, that's what that's talking about. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good. Um, 
So you say, okay, pastor, like, uh, if most of us don't know how to fight fair, and I really believe that, I think most marriages don't work because people don't know how to fight fair. How do you beat the odds? Well, you do what you're doing today, right? You're learning. You fight for your marriage. You fight against the enemy. Put the, the target on the enemy. You don't fight against each other. You fight for solutions, right? That's what I said earlier. You fight for resolutions. Let's, okay, this is not working. Bring, like, the, the passion and the intensity needs to be pointed towards something that's going to help the marriage, not towards, like, feelings, not towards hurting that other person. Uh, this is, uh, man, if you don't get anything else, get this verse, okay? Uh, you can take a picture of it or just write down the reference, but this is, this is so helpful to me. Song of Songs 2.15 says, Catch all the what, church? church? Oh, catch all the what? All the foxes. What is that talking about? No, it doesn't say some, all right? It says all of them. Catch all the foxes, those, just in case you don't get it, those little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grape grapevines are blossoming. So you know what God is instructing you here? God is saying, you better pay attention to the details of your relationship. The details matter. Because often what we do is we just, we, independent of how long you've been married, how long you've been in a relationship, it becomes a roommate. That other person becomes a roommate. And if you're not careful, you just get used to each other. And you talk to each other just kind of like you talk to a roommate and you don't really care. And, it, you know, and, and the Bible here is instructing us to be strategic, to fight for the things that matter. Fight for the details. The details are important because most of your problems Actually, when you bring them to me, they're usually this big, but they started when they were little foxes. And if, you, if you've been divorced, you, you know I'm telling you the truth. It's like, yeah, we neglected the relationship. And it wasn't in one day that it went downhill. It was over a period of time. And so a great marriage does not happen by accident. You've got to be intentional. It's like a marriage is like a vehicle on a hill. You can't put it on neutral and expect to move forward. You've got to drive that thing. It's constant work. And so why is it that most marriages don't work? Well, people have the wrong view of marriage. They think it's a piece of paper. It's a, a practical arrangement. It's, you know, we're fully engaged, not fully committed. Two, we don't know how to fight fair. We, we attack each other instead of putting the target on the enemy. And the last one, I'll close with this. I'm out of time. But one of the reasons is because people feel like they've lost their spark. And they equate love with spark. You know, oh, we've lost it. And love is so much more than just a feeling, than just an infatuation. Oh, we just pastor, you know, we just lost the spark. We just, you know, people, let me tell you this. People tend, it's the 80-20 principle. Have you ever heard of the 80-20 principle? This is across the board. So this is true in your career and like work, like churches. People leave 80%, the 80% of what they love for the 20% of what they don't like, okay? So whether it's your career, whether it's, um, you know, uh, whether you're RVing, you know, and that's kind of your lifestyle, you know, they, whether it's marriage, relationship, they will often, they'll leave, okay, they'll leave 80% of what they love 
because of the, the 20% that they don't like. Uh, so, so what you do, I mean, all of us have at least 20% of dysfunction in our lives. In any area, like work, like wherever, it's, it's called earth, not, it's not heaven. It's, we, we, we're not going to achieve perfection here on this planet. Um, you know, so like, make sure you have the right expectations, right? The proper expectations. And so what I encourage you to do is learn to celebrate the 80% before you get fixated on the 20%. Okay? Don't leave the 80 that you love for the 20 that you, because of the 20 that you don't like. And so, so instead of keeping scores of the negative, do your best to track the, the good things that that person is doing. Okay? So the Bible says it like this, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. We, that verse was quoted earlier. Um, Philippians 4, 8. Fix your thoughts. This is nothing new on what's good, on what's true, on what's right, on what's pure. Like, whatever they're doing right, man, brag about them. Love them. Focus on that. And you look at me, and it's like, Pastor, but we've, we've lost our spark. We've lost it. How do we beat the odds? Probably the biggest difference in most marriages is I think is you got to learn to see things as they are not worse than they are a lot of us we just look at things the wrong way like we just are negative thinking you know you, you tell yourself the wrong story tell yourself the truth I would, I would say that I would say um, you've got to have a compelling future You've got to have a compelling future. You know, we say it often in church, the best is yet to come. you got to believe it. And some of you, you need to hear this. You know, some of you, you're separated. And other than abuse, right, and unfaithfulness. Like, I hope you understand. That's why I said that at the beginning. But some of you, you need to, maybe you, you've been divorced. Maybe you, maybe you, like, don't think that men are good. Maybe you don't think that women are, you know, I can never trust another woman. I can never trust, you know. You've got to have, you've got to have a compelling, compelling future. Your, your beliefs, they create or they destroy. Do you know that? What you believe either creates or it destroys. Let me kind of, and I know I'm over my time, but I think this is important. Um, let's just do a little exercise. What if I, what if I believe that, that marriage is a battle? Okay, just kind of play along with me for a moment. And, and if you're not married, you can substitute the word marriage for life. Okay? This is going to help all of you, whether you're married or not. Okay? But let's just, for, for just a second, let's just say that I say, I believe that marriage is a battle. Right? I, what, how, would I, how would I be describing that? Like, just give me some words. Like, what would you, marriage is a battle. You'd say what? say well it's a it's a war it's like you know if, if you say that if you believe that marriage is a battle it's like somebody wins somebody loses people get hurt right like like it's not it's painful it's not fun like it's it's a struggle what if i said i believe that marriage is a test how would i describe it help me out give me some words a test how many of you like to i hate taking tests it's painful right like it, it gives me anxiety like, I, I, I just, um, you know, it's a, if I believe marriage is a test, it's a challenge, it's, I'm going to feel judged. But what if I believe that marriage 
is sacred. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, man, it's special. It's something that I need to treasure. It's, 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 it's a, it should be a blessing. It's a privilege. What if I say marriage is a gift? Man, yesterday I got this gift from a friend, wealthy friend. I open it up, and, and I, I'm even embarrassed to tell you, but like I was blown away. I couldn't believe. You know, marriage is a gift. You say it's fun. Who doesn't enjoy getting a gift, right? It's it's a surprise, right? If I said marriage, it's it's a dance. You would how would you describe that? Man, it's exciting, it's 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 full of life, it's fun, it's playful, sexy, whimsical. So so what is what is marriage? What is marriage? I know I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's all of those things. And that's true. But that's not how your brain works. Because marriage is what you believe, it's what you decide to believe about it. And so if all you think about marriage is, if all, all you think about it is it's just a battle, that's the filter that you're going to use. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, God, thank you so much that you teach us remind us that most marriages don't work because of, they have the wrong view of marriage. Fully entangled, not fully committed. Thank you for reminding us that, that most marriages don't work because we don't know how to fight fair. We're fighting each other instead of putting the target on the enemy. Thank you for reminding us that most marriages don't work because we feel like we've lost our spark. And when your word tells us we can do anything, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God, your grace, your word tells me your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. God, you can work in my, in my marriage, God. And so why don't you pray? I know that this is a hard subject for some of you. I, I get it. It's very sensitive. And I sympathize with you. But why don't you pray something like this, whether you're married or divorced or bitter, why don't you just say something like this right now? Just pray something. These are my words, but you can use your own, whatever. God, help me to focus on the right things. God, help me to love the way you, you've loved me. God, for, help me to forgive the way that you've forgiven me. God, help me to fix my eyes on the positive things, the good, the, the fun times, the cherished memories. God, give me the strength to keep going and not give up. Jesus, amen. Let's all stand.